Hello, thanks for listening and joining us on the Be Yourself Happy, Healthy, Hopeful podcast. I'm your host, Steph, a health promoter from the Bulimia Anorexia Nervosa Association here in Windsor, Ontario. On this podcast, we explore topics related to health, mental wellness, and creating a happy, healthy, and hopeful life full of opportunities for yourself. Today, my guest is Nicole Boulanger. Nicole is a registered dietitian, and she has been at BANA since January of 2014. Nicole is originally from Barrie and completed her Bachelor of Science Honors degree in Foods and Nutrition at Brescia University College from Western University. Nicole followed this up by an internship at the Northern Ontario Dietetic Internship Program in Barrie. Nicole is passionate about helping individuals improve their relationship with food and ultimately their quality of life. On a personal level, Nicole states that she loves spending time with her family and friends, but most of all her son. She enjoys traveling and discovering new places and activities, and in her spare time, she loves cooking and trying new recipes, exploring the outdoors, and doing sports and activities like yoga, biking, running, hiking, and rock climbing. Nicole is such an asset to our team at BANA, being the only dietitian. This piece is such a vital piece of our clients' recovery, and we love all of the nutrition knowledge that she brings to the table. On the podcast today, you'll learn a little bit more about nutrition and about some of the principles Nicole utilizes when working with clients at BANA. We also have a co-host on this episode, Erin McMahon. Erin's completing her internship at BANA, and you'll learn a little bit more about her as we get going. I truly hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope that it eases the nerves of some of you who might be afraid of that nutrition piece or hold shame around some of the beliefs that are put out there about food. I hope we dispel some of that shame and uh, inspire you to really take look at health a little bit differently. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for being here. Okay, I am super excited to be back on the podcast. It's been a little bit of a break, um, but I'm happy to be back and especially happy for this episode because it's my first time I will have a co-host with me. And our guest today is Nicole Boulanger. She is our registered dietitian at BANA and has been at BANA since 2014, so quite some time. Um, So I know uh, many questions often come up about dietetics and eating disorders. So we have some really interesting questions for Nicole. And as a special treat, my co-host is Erin McMahon. And Erin is joining us because she's actually completing her internship at BANA. So just so you all know who Erin is, she is originally from Windsor, but she now resides in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She obtained her bachelor's degree at the University of Windsor in human kinetics in 2019. I also did human kinetics, Erin. Um, she's, <laughs> she's currently enrolled at the University of Michigan School of Public Health for her master's in nutrition sciences. She's en route to becoming a registered dietitian, so that's why we thought she would be an excellent co-facilitator today. And she's completing her public health internship at BANA under her preceptor, Nicole, our guest today, where she's observing client meetings and assisting with various BANA projects. So hi, Erin. 
Hi, nice to see you. Nice. Uh, it's nice having a co-host. I've never had one before on the Band of Podcast, so this is a treat. Well, yeah. yeah. And then I'd like to formally also welcome our guest, Nicole Boulanger. Um, As I mentioned, she is Banna's registered dietitian. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast, so I'm putting that out there right now. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. It's always a learning or a learning curve, a new opportunity. So um, I thank you for being here because it kind of puts you outside your your normal comfort zone. Yes. Um, okay, so we have lots of exciting questions for you today, Nicole. Um, I already gave our audience a brief intro of who you are and a little bit of your background, but I like to get that straight from your mouth as well. So who are you um, and what do you do? And maybe you can tell us a little bit about your role at BAMA. Sure. Um, yeah, so as you already said, Steph, I've been here for um, at Banna and Windsor, actually, for about seven, uh, just over seven years now. And um, <clears throat> I am the only dietitian here at Banna. And um, so, uh, you know, that's been that's been interesting. It's a definitely a role that has evolved. And um, so our team, I think you've met a bit of our other team on these podcasts, but uh, I work with our social workers or clinicians and um, uh, when clients are doing treatment, we do CBTE, I'm sure that's been talked to, talked about CBT and CBTT. Um, and then they do individual work with myself as well. I also run um, like a metabolism skills training group that we're doing virtually right now. Um, but in terms of my role at at, at Banna, I'm mostly working individual, one-on-one with clients uh, to normalize eating. Uh, yeah, tackle tackle the eating disorder from our our lens, the nutrition lens. Right, which is such an important and vital piece of their recovery. I'm sure. Um, I think it's probably a tough piece as well because you're challenging a lot of their beliefs, right? So, uh, yeah, it's I I commend you for the work you do with our clients. Thanks. You know what? Some people want to see me more than others. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some people are excited to see the dietitian. And I think sometimes there's a lot of, um, you know, fears or misconceptions. I'm not the food police. I actually work, uh, you know, anytime we're talking about, you know, food and what we're eating, um, there's that fear of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. So, but really, I, I work with clients um, to decrease their own, like, shame and judgment around, around food. So I find, uh, you know, clients tend to warm up once they they feel kind of a safe environment mm-hmm. and and really I just work with each person with where they're at and individual goals so we really it's a very collaborative process mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah so I, I think even you just saying that probably eases um people listening's nerves around the nutrition yeah. piece because you're right like there's that misconception of oh she's gonna tell me I can't eat this and I can't eat yeah. that but I think the unique part of eating disorder treatment is um, that it is finding what's right for them. And maybe uh, that's a little bit different than some experiences people have had in the past with maybe nutritionists or dietitians out there. But with yeah. eating disorders, it's quite unique where they're, you know, unlearning some things and finding what balanced eating means to them, 
right? Yeah, and you're exactly right. It is a, definitely it is a different approach, and and even when people have seen yeah dietitians or nutritionists before, um, they may not have had that eating disorder lens or focus. So it is very different, and you know I do find that most people, um, you know, are pleasantly surprised, hopefully, with with how things um, with how things evolve. Yeah, mm-hmm. and exactly, it's not just here do this do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, And I know that just from knowing you personally around the office that you previously did work in more of the diabetes um, counseling area. So that was probably a little bit different. Um, So what piqued your interest in working for BANA and with eating disorder clients? Yeah, so you're right, Steph. Um, (laughs) I'm from probably in my little, whatever you said about me in the beginning, um, people probably know I'm actually from Barrie, so north of Toronto. And that's where I worked in diabetes um, and a diabetes um, center. And it was, there were similarities where it was a lot of that one-on-one counseling, which I really enjoy working with with clients in that way. Also in that interdisciplinary team. So I worked with nurses there and here I work with social workers, which is great. I wish I had social workers working <laughs> with me there. Um, but, but yeah, having that diabetes background and kind of, you know, specializing in one area, I find, um, you know, very interesting. And actually when I was moving to Windsor, I didn't really seek out eating disorders. It, Banna happened to be hiring a dietitian for the first time um, for a yeah, full-time position. And so it was really kind of this timing in it I, that, you know, piqued my interest. And um, so I, you know, spoke to other dietitians who work in eating disorders. I really read up on it and looked into it and preparing for my interview and obviously got hired. And then there's been a lot of training and learning. And I'd say my my love for this area has has grown. And um, I've just learned so much from clients and other people working in this area. It's a very passionate group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely, this is the kind of work I like to do as a dietitian because there's, you know, you can work in hospitals. There's lots of different areas. Um, but yeah, I just really like this work and I, and I, I feel strongly about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Erin. Yeah, chime in. Yeah. I was actually just going to say, like, I know your transition from, like, um, working in diabetes counseling to eating disorders must have been, like, extremely different. Did you have to go through any additional training in order to, like, learn CBT, um, like the cognitive behavioral therapy treatment? Yeah, so um, you're right. It was definitely a 180, and I was a little, I was a little nervous. Cause, but do you know what? I was nervous going into diabetes because it's a specialized area. And then you learn, you learn and you train. And I ended up getting my certified diabetes educator um, while I was doing that. And then, and now just immerse myself in the eating disorder world. And so lots of conferences, training, professional development, webinars, great books, um, and just really working with our clients and the, and other teams. Mm-hmm. I think you're always evolving. I'm certainly always evolving. Um, I kind of wish when I was in diabetes, I had all this this yeah. knowledge I have from, from working in eating disorders. Absolutely. The cognitive behavioral therapy, I believe started that about four-ish years ago. So we weren't even starting that when I first was here. So that's mm. been a huge learning curve. Um, and um, I think it's improved our treatment. Um, but yeah, so the clinicians do that, but it's, it's just a really nice, it's a really nice blend 
uh, right. with us working on the nutrition piece and challenging the diet mentality and then um, uh, working on those, you know, that cognitive piece and the emotions with our social workers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's such a, um, like a transformative process, I think, when oh, they yeah. go through everything. But having that team and like that support is so important in like kind of looking at their recovery in such a holistic lens. I think um, Vanna does a great job at that. Um, maybe we can get more into eating disorders themselves. Uh, and you want to ask, um, maybe chime in about this, because I know you had some questions too. Yeah, of course. Um, so for people who are looking, like, or seeking treatment, um, how would you explain the difference between eating disorders and disordered eating? Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's only we talk about it a lot, because sometimes people will note, you know, maybe dis- disordered eating behaviors, um, Disordered eating can actually be fairly common. There's a lots of people mm-hmm. that have disordered eating, which can be dieting, chaotic eating, just eating very irregular, um, unbalanced. Um, so, you know, obviously people who are struggling with an eating disorder have dis- disordered eating as well, but they meet the criteria for the, the DSM-5. Um, so again, I don't know, Steph, if this has been talked about on others in, in more detail, yeah, but, yeah, a little but bit, basically but the difference is they have that... Um, they both have that those disordered eating types, but that you're actually meeting criteria for the diagnosis. And that will depend on which eating disorder it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what, I, I think maybe we have touched on it, but not so much. I know that in some of the outreach um, health promotion our team yeah. does, we definitely talk about how it's kind of like a, uh, a continuum or a spectrum of sorts where it's like, there is that gray area where a lot of, like you said, like a lot of those disordered eating behaviors can be um, normalized and very much kind of glamorized in society right. these days. But then the clients coming to Bana, um, they typically have that diagnosis from a mental health professional. That's right, right, Nicole? Yeah, well, well they can get their diagnosis through us, mm, through okay. assessment, but where yeah. exactly? So then it'd be going through the criteria um, and yeah, so again, like a disordered eating, and that's part of where dieting, I guess, can lead to eating disorder. Obviously, everyone that diets doesn't have an eating disorder, but it's it's a catalyst, right? It puts you at risk. So same thing, if people have disordered eating, um, then you're going to be at risk if you have, uh, if you're already susceptible to an eating disorder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a slippery slope. Yes, it is. This is why... I promote no disordered eating at all. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like having um, having more of some, like different approaches probably that you take. So maybe Erin can talk a little or ask a little bit more about one approach that we both want to know more about. Yeah, for sure. So I know with like the recent body positivity movement, um, like people have been adapting to a health at every size approach. Um, so that's like for everyone else listening, um, it's like a public health approach to de-emphasize weight loss as a health goal and reduce the stigma around uh, people of larger bodies. So uh, do you yourself, Nicole, embody this approach in your nutrition counseling with clients? Like uh, for those who have a binge eating disorder, do you find that you have to alter this approach when you're trying to help the client come down in weight? Yeah, so absolutely. We um, have that health at every size approach. So a lot of what, and and to be honest, I've always done this as a dietitian. I feel um, that it's at least, 
be working eating disorders, it's more accepted and understood where sometimes even working in diabetes, there, there's a lot of focus on weight loss. Um, so that would also be challenging. But, but really, I focus on health behaviors. So that's, that's, you know, kind of replacing that focus on weight with health behaviors. Because we know that weight is not always the best indicator of health. And in fact, it's more obviously the genetics, there's lots of things that play a role, but it's actually our health behavior. So that includes um, sleep hygiene, right? So making sure you get enough sleep and rested, taking care of your mental health, having that balance in your life, managing your stress, as well as, of course, nutrition. So, you know, nourishing your body well with food, and we'll probably get into that more, but that doesn't just mean, you know, highly nutritious foods, that means pleasurable foods as well, and um, physical activity, so movement. So physical activity is, is really interesting because there, even that, I remember in diabetes, there's just huge evidence of the benefits mentally and physically on our health, despite your weight. So of course there's extremes in weight, whether it's on the low end or the high end, um, but usually you're there as a result, some issues with these health behaviors I'm talking about. So that's, that's really how I work that out is that it's actually very unhelpful focusing on the weight and you can't fully control your weight. Those are discussions we have to have, but so ultimately I always bring it back. So we, we talk about weight cause this is, you know, this is obviously a big shift from, from society. Mm-hmm. There's such a weight focus. Um, but, but also ultimately where the evidence is and, and where I see the benefits is focusing on, on behaviors you can actually change and control mm-hmm. and then accepting your weight where that does fall. And, um, that if you, even if you think in our culture that you're on the higher end, that may be where your body's naturally meant to be. Um, and you can absolutely be very healthy at that way, even if you don't feel like it fits society's standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know myself that, um, all of those health behaviors that you just kind of listed off yeah. is what I've, I think with time have come to learn are, um, you know, what keeps me at my healthiest or like when I feel my best. Right. And it's yeah. become, those things have become my barometer for health. Um, and I think it takes time though. And possibly that's because I've been at Banna too, and that's shaped <laughs> who, I, who I am, but like, you know, shifting that focus, it, it does uh, wonders. And unfortunately, we have a lot of things stacked up against us um, from culture that make us believe otherwise. Um, yeah. And getting the guidance from, you know, a health professional can really be beneficial, I think, um, whether it be a dietitian or a therapist who can help you, you know, tease those things out of what's important for you, I think is really valuable. Yeah, and, and that is one thing I feel like people are maybe surprised when we're talking about maybe having some anxiety around, you know, seeing the dietitian. Yeah. Is yeah, I'm not here and focusing on your 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 weight. We're focusing about what's going on and what's affecting your life. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think you said it right, Steph, and I agree, even even personally as well. It's and, and even from clients, I have clients at different weights and let's say even being at a weight that they thought was really would have been scary or uncomfortable and can acknowledge I am so much happier. Mm. I am so much more comfortable. And it's just so, so cool to see and so reinforcing um, with everything we do that yeah. when, uh, and it makes it easier to accept, right? When you realize how much better you feel, it makes it easier to accept and challenge um, that, you know, your body is supposed to be there, even if you didn't think that fit those, those cultural messages you've been mm. Yeah, that must be really fulfilling too. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So let's like actually tease out um, to, to ease people's nerves as well. Like you kind of just said, um, what kind of strategies you do use? So, you know, sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to go and see a dietitian and they're going to put me on, on some some sort of food plan. Do you uh-huh. use a food plan or what are you, um, how are you guiding your clients when it comes to food? Yeah. Yeah. So great question. And, and this is, this is, so what I'm going to speak to is going to be unique to eating disorders. Yeah. Um, keep that in mind. So because everyone coming in does have disordered eating at some point. Um, so like I said, there's that, that group metabolism kind of educational group I run, um, prior to really meeting me and then I do a nutrition assessment so that's where uh, it's an hour and that's where I get to know clients more and that's where I ask all those questions Uh, medical history I would have also read their file and had that background but it's really getting to know the person because there are so many so many factors that play into um, the eating disorder and someone's relationship with food Mm -hmm. so then um at the next meeting, we do start with more of a mechanical eating plan. This is not any kind of strict fixated. It's just, it's a more of a general guidance, but we need to recalibrate. I mean, we talk about it, if you're coming in with disordered eating, you, we need to recalibrate, get your signals back and accurate, accurate, fuel your body, give it what it needs. And honestly, just following that plan. And we work together to create that plan. Like I said, there's a general guideline just for that regular balanced eating. And that in itself, people start to tend to feel a lot better. Eating disorder symptoms go down. Mm-hmm. That preoccupation or that constant thinking about food, body, your weight, that comes down with that plan. So that's really the first step. And then throughout all that, again, we're cha- challenging the diet mentality and whatever the personal, you know, maybe people need help with meal planning. That's, it gets very individual at that yeah. point. And then we move into more intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if you guys question about that yeah we definitely do I've I spoke I've had someone talk about it on the podcast before but I would really like to get um your take too so how might you define regular intuitive eating yeah like just tell me a little bit more about it okay yes so I love I love intuitive eating um you know for many reasons so so like I said just with what I do here we have to start with more of that mechanical or structured eating pattern just to get someone signals accurate and uh, normalize eating. And then moving toward that intuitive eating, really it's just becoming that expert on you, right? Becoming that that wisdom on your own body, which is so cool and so empowering to me. Um, and honestly, I apply that to physical activity as well. Just that listening to your body, getting to know your cues. I find um, in, in our society in particular, um, we, there's just so many distractions and we get away from these environments that really help us, um, uh, kind of foster that intuitive eating environment. Uh, so really, yeah, we, we work with clients to, to get that back and that takes time. So really we just build that foundation and that, that guidance and that's a continued, continued process. So, yeah. So like I said, there are, there are the 10 principles of intuitive eating and it's, yeah, it's really that that aware increased awareness of yourself and your thoughts and your appetite cues mm-hmm. and then learning to honor those and also be flexible yeah right? yeah with like these 10 with these 10 intuitive eating um or steps to intuitive eating which 10 or which do you feel uh clients most likely struggle with and do your you yourself struggle with any of these 
Yeah, so they're, I wonder, should I just list them off quickly? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) So the first one is rejecting the diet mentality, Mm -hmm. and then honoring your hunger. Third one's making peace with food, and then challenging the food police, respecting your fullness, discover the satisfaction factor. Seven is honor your feelings without using food. Eight's respecting your body. Nine is exercise, so feel the difference. And then 10 is honor your health. So I do get a good variety of, you know, clients struggling with different areas. Obviously, from the get-go, we're really challenging that diet mentality. So some, some, some people need more work on that than others and find that really helpful. There's a book with, and there's chapters on each of these. And kind of like we've already been talking about, but challenging the food police and making peace with food. So it's just having this unconditional permission to eat. And when, when people allow themselves uh, to have what they really want, again, you're, you're more likely to, to eat that, that, that normally and not overdo it. When you deprive yourself, you're more likely to overeat or binge on something on that food. Mm-hmm. Challenging the food police is again, all those, those messages. But I would say the one that I, I really feel is most common and, and still is always like an ongoing one. And then one that I would probably relate to more as well would be honor your feelings without using food. Mm-hmm. So this one is, you know, food is very accessible and it feels good and it is very easy um, to use foods in ways, again, if we're bored, right? Eating, more, you know, COVID, I think a lot of people have struggled with this, this one, right? right. Whether we're bored, we don't have our our typical um, outlets or those areas that kind of keep us, you know, feeling good and in check. Uh, but food is always around and available. So I do find that one is is probably the most common and improves. But again, I think we can all usually yeah. work on that one. Yeah, I can, I, I just from like anecdotal um, yeah. talks with people during the pandemic, people have been definitely reaching to food for comfort. And we also see that on social media, like with maybe um, memes or different like posts that kind of poke fun at that. Um, I know that we have a lens that kind of looks at that like being a little harmful, (laughs) which it is, it is, but people, not everyone has that awareness really. Um, And, you know, that's one thing that's important to the work that I do in health promotion is kind of like getting people to reflect on those things and how it could impact people's relationships with food. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Erin. And I know that like clients can probably be extremely scared when it comes to sensing like those hunger cues um, because of a fear of weight gain with their eating disorder. So what are your thoughts on dealing with your own hunger cues? Like what would you advise? Yeah, so that can be, there's different lenses because people are in different, you know, areas with the eating disorders and hunger can have different meaning. Sometimes there, again, there's that fear of, so sometimes people are, are, you know, they have hunger and they want to ignore it, right? That, okay, I I should ignore this and then, you know, that's going to be better and that kind of falls into the, you know, dieting and weight loss area. Again, typically that backfires really honor your hunger is your body's message to you that it's time to eat. So it's really, it's, it's really important, especially for intuitive eating um, is honoring that first sign. You know, that's, that's our, that's our biology. Our body is, is telling us, signaling us to eat and fuel our bodies. So yeah, I definitely honor that. And it's also normal with normal eating that sometimes you miss that or you can't get to food and really check in. You know, we become very, I'm definitely one, very irritable. You can't stop thinking about food. It's very uncomfortable. It's a very typically a negative experience because mm-hmm. it's survival. 
we we need to eat. Mm-hmm. And then you're also more likely once you do to eat more quickly or overeat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we definitely have a lot of conversations around those signals and that by honoring your hunger does not mean you're going to gain too much weight or get fat, whatever that fear is. It's actually how your body regulates what you do need. Mm-hmm. And when you honor your hunger, it's easier to honor your fullness and it all kind of works together. So again, all those principles, they, you know, they do work together to mm-hmm. feel at our best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming back and connecting to you and your desires and drives and needs I think that's really key and again to kind of break down any fears or like uh, expectations about dietitians in general um, I was wondering if you could also maybe explain to us about like your own diet and like if you think yours is regular and balanced and what that means to you yeah. So, um, and again, by diet here, we mean pattern of eating. Right. Um, so yeah. And again, usually when we talk about diets, we need fad diets. So I, I definitely do not and have not been involved in any kind of fad dieting. I do eat regular and balanced, but part of normal eating is, is like I said, that you can kind of your, you know, regular and balance is a most of the time thing, right? Is that sometimes, you know, maybe life gets, gets chaotic and, and it's really hard and you do your best. So some days are better than others. So there's a lot of, you know, factors. So part of that normal eating is being flexible. And yeah, I also sometimes where it's like, okay, you know, need to, you know, kind of stop and check in and okay, I'm kind of eating the same things, right? Maybe I should stop. And I love, I like grocery shopping. I like, mm-hmm. you know, recipes and trying new foods. So that, that's not fun for everyone, but it is for me. But yeah, life can get busy and that can, uh, can be hard to manage everything. So it's just sort of taking a step back and kind of checking in with, yeah, what I want to, what I want to shift and for my body and my, you know, pleasure in eating. Yeah. yeah, I I do find that I, that I definitely embrace intuitive eating. Yeah. Even like when you're talking about that shifting, like for me, I know, um, like even season when the season changes I'm like okay like I'm craving like a soup or a chili or and then I'm like oh I really want like fresh juice when it gets hot out or um, like you know like more fresh salads is just like listening to my body that's what it does want in those times um but I think maybe even other people may feel differently like you know so it's just tuning into what feels good for you I think it's so true. And that's where, and you know, I give those kind of examples a lot. You're exactly right, Steph. It does evolve and change. And it's really helpful to check in with yourself. This is the difference between dieting and not dieting is very much. You should do this. And generally, you're deprived of a lot of the foods you enjoy. Whereas, um, you know, sometimes, well, for me, it's chocolate. So that's what tends mm-hmm. to come out of my mouth here. <laughs> but um, maybe sometimes I have more chocolate than, than other times, right? And so it's okay to kind of be aware of that. But, um, when yeah when you're not kind of shaming yourself for it it's it's easy you know sometimes maybe you're having more of it and then sometimes you'll have less of it mm. right now you know especially with COVID I'm super into gardening I have a build a raised bed and have a vegetable garden going mm. and I find that's really helpful in like connecting to food and that yeah. relationship so there's nothing like you know going and clipping here so definitely a bit a lot more salads with things lately because that's what's up and going right now yeah but yeah just kind of having fun with food and and listening to your body and what you what you want yeah yeah awesome even in kinesiology like coming from a kinesiology background Steph you probably relate with this um everybody eats healthy like every 
you know, you're preached to have like a healthy balanced diet and then, you know, going into dietetics, there's, you learn about weight bias and health and, you know, intuitive eating and eating what makes you feel like happy and comfortable. So it's kind of just, you're right, shifting that diet mentality, just listening to those like internal hunger cues. Yeah, you, you bring up like a good point too, Erin, because, um, I think we're all really shaped by different experiences. So like one of ours was a like HK and that environment and that discipline. Uh, it could be like our upbringing too and how that influenced how we feel about food or um, I don't know, like so many different places we gather, all, like media, we gather all of this information about what is um, quote unquote healthy. Um, but I, it's really nice to hear that um, they're making like you know you're learning about weight bias and loving your body in school too because I don't know that that was really present when I went to school um in some of the training I did although I I do have a different um education than you both but it's just like it does show that there's perhaps um like you know new research or growth in research when it comes to what we should or should not be eating and what health behaviors are um, most beneficial yeah yeah and you know what I yeah I do like kind of what, what you're saying too about this idea of health um that can be a bit you know even healthy eating that the definition of that sometimes we kind of veer away from that because people's definition of that is different and it's influenced like you said by different information and influences where you know part of I talk a lot about too, there's, there's too much of a good thing, quote unquote, good thing, right? right? Is that really it's wanting that balance. And part of that balance is having foods you enjoy. Um, so, you know, we don't, this brings up kind of food labeling. We don't talk about good, bad, good food, bad foods. And that's something that I, you know, talk with our clients about as well. And, you know, even with my son, you know, he probably wouldn't know what you're talking about. If you <laughs> see what's junk food, he doesn't know. It's chocolate, it's chips. It's, you know, we talk about the food for what it is. And that they're okay and they're enjoyable too. And everything, um, yeah. There's moderation with with certain foods, but that they're not they're not bad. And mm-hmm. you know, if we think fruit and vegetables are the only things that are good, if that's all you ate, you're going to be missing a lot of nutrients. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, this idea of of it might be reframing what you think of as as healthy eating, and mm-hmm. that's a lot of what we we do as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you brought up the. Um principle about movement too and um, I can imagine clients have maybe like a difficult relationship with movement too depending on the situation they're in or perhaps they um, are compensating using movement because they feel some eating habits are quote-unquote bad or not healthy um but we and it's tricky because we know that movement or physical activity is really important for overall well-being um so how do you help clients really find a middle ground that might work for them so that if they are really obsessive about exercise or have a difficult relationship with it they can find this you know balanced activity that feels good yeah absolutely Steph so I yeah I like this question too because similar to food is you know, exercise or moving our bodies, physical activity, it is this area where obviously, you know, most people know that there is, you know, tremendous benefits to physical activity um, and moving our bodies. And sometimes we don't do it enough, but also it can be done too much as well. So I, I, I honestly 
use that that principle of intuitive exercise as well. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of conversation, so this just depends on the on the on the person. But what it looks like when maybe it's not in a healthy place, right? So whether, again, you're using it to compensate. So meaning that, like you said, if you feel like, oh, I ate this, oh, I shouldn't have. So now I need to go do this exercise. So that is definitely not what we recommend. That That's kind of, you know, kind of tainting your relationship with food and exercise where um, it also leads to, you know, these guilty feelings are feeling like a strong need to have to go and, and exercise. Um, yeah, so we work on finding that that balance with what is, feels good. How do you like to move your body? There's no one way of doing it, right? Some people like the gym. Some people, you don't have, certainly you don't have to go to a gym to, mm-hmm. to move your body in a healthy way. So uh, it's exploring, exploring with um, how you like to move your body. And some people have had a very negative relationship and even I, I, I don't even tend to use the word exercise because that's negative for a lot of people um, mm. just because of their history with it. And so, yeah, it's just the idea is our bodies are meant to move, right? We're meant to move. We're also meant to rest. So when it's we're you're kind of overdoing it, often it's it's feeling very compulsive. So feeling like you have to go, um, maybe not listening to your body or exercising when it's not safe. Say there's an injury and instead of nursing an injury, you're still doing these activities. Also, let's say there's social functions, you know, but no, I have to go and do this. So you're missing out on that social time. So there's a bunch of like red flags when it's getting into that, you know, disordered activity. And like I said, compensating as well. So we, we talk about incorporating that physical movement, finding what you enjoy, what feels good, and, you know, something regular as well, where you find that balance. And that's going to be a bit unique for each person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that, like, like even being a woman and our, um, you know, our cycles and everything, that, that's what made me, you made me think of because it's like, sometimes I'm like full-on energy and I can handle it and I want to be doing like more of a rigorous activity but other times like you know I I want to rest or I just want to do stretching like that's kind of like that's my um inner like I guess I look to my like cycle as a way to like gauge how I feel (laughs) but and you know sometimes that means like I I like working out alone for the most part occasionally I'll be like hey like it would be fun socially so it just kind of depends on my mood and I think again I've probably picked that skill up of tuning in being at Vienna and stuff but um you're exactly right Steph and it's different everyone's it's just so different and it's unique and this idea that there's not really a right or wrong like there's a general you know kind of guidelines and we know we're going way you know way out on either extreme of not moving our bodies enough or at all yeah. and then versus overdoing it um but that in between is is very it's varying and it's different for everyone but ultimately it's you exploring that for yourself and getting to know yourself and then yeah when it tends to feel the best where you know, obviously it can give you more energy and it does feel good to move our bodies when we're doing it in that yeah. way. But yeah, you're exactly in, in listening to the rest part is just as important, stretching and resting and what I feel like I'm not a huge runner or anything, but I enjoy just even going for a walk with friends. So I feel like that could probably, you know, tie into joyful movement or even making, you know, like TikTok is huge right now, even making like a TikTok dance. <laughs> I love like, that. Yeah, that's some joyful movement right there. So. Absolutely. I, I definitely, yeah, I talk to people, yeah, dancing, you know, playing with your kids, running around with your, you know, pets. Um, it's so nice out and the days are so long, like hiking, getting in nature, um, 
we have so many beautiful parks, right? Point Pili, there's a lot of, so just exploring. And again, you don't have to be so focused on, okay, how much, not so focused on the movement part of it, right? But it's just getting out um, yeah, and enjoying nature and movement where you're actually just doing what you love, whether it's biking, it be all kinds of things. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. And I think like, it's like, those are the little things in life too, right? So there's something to that. But I know that, you know, people I've interacted with who know I work at Banna, like they always bring up social media and definitely during the pandemic, you know, they're seeing what people ate in a day, you know, all those videos, or they see those workouts that they're on and they're like, oh my God, I'm not doing that. Should I be doing that? Um, so that's always an area of concern. And we already kind of talked about, touched upon diet culture. And I think, you know, social media has really exasperated it even further. So I guess, what do you have to say about diet culture? And, you know, are there any quick fix diets that do work out there from um, your opinion? Does that even exist? And should we be looking to people online for advice? So I'm sure for those who are listening has already picked up on my anti-diet culture. (laughs) (laughs) So I've seen, yeah, working even my entire, you know, career, whether it was in diabetes or you know, here in eating disorders, but dieting causes a lot of damage. It's just so unhelpful. It's, I've just seen so much of the damage that it has caused to people and even major weight fluctuations. Uh, so for the most part, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take too much convincing with, with people about, because they usually experience themselves how ineffective dieting mm-hmm. is. Again, there's not only is there tons of evidence how, you know, um, you know, most the vast majority of people will gain, regain the weight and more, right? So it's not always that difficult to lose the weight, but again, you're very likely to regain that weight and more, and then your self-esteem gets plummeted with that as well. So there's this very vicious cycle of dieting. That's something we talk about um, a lot. And and like I mentioned earlier, it, it just totally goes against this principle of intuitive eating. Also for those who have had a child since, you know, most of us don't really remember when we're that young, but intuitive eating is very natural. So it's super interesting to see how we naturally regulate like children when we allow them or providing them, you know, with that regular balanced eating, but they decide how much they eat if they eat at all. And sometimes it might be like, Oh, that seems like a lot. That doesn't seem like it very much, but when they regulate it, that's when they're going to be at their healthiest and they're going to grow how they're supposed to grow. Cause their body knows if they need to grow, if they have a growth spurt coming up or, um, so it's, it's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, I digressed a little bit. So in terms of the, you know, the dieting world, what was the other part of that question, Steph? Um, I guess if any, yeah, if any of oh. these quick fix diets even work, like, and, you know, all of that advice that we're getting online, is that even? Right. So, you know, some people do appreciate guidance, right? Or especially, you know, if you haven't been, you haven't grown up with, you really just don't even know where to start. Do you find it just helpful if people are able to access a dietitian just to even learn that regular balanced eating, what that looks like? Definite red flags, if anything is eliminated or very extreme. Our body, part of healthy eating is a variety. Having a variety of foods from all the different food groups, that is a key, not just physically to meet our uh, nutritional requirements, but also mentally, we like a variety of foods. So, you know, there's some that more that are a bit more balanced. You know, you might hear about Mediterranean diet, that kind of thing. Honestly, it just be about incorporating the other issues with diets. What if you don't like that stuff, right? We all like, you know, I don't like olives. <laughs> That's not my chain. That's my taste buds. Everybody does, I know. 
we just, we have personal preferences. So I think it's, it's great to, you know, explore different foods and work on your relationship with food, but just really trying to have that balance, um, you know, with your carbohydrates, protein, fat, they, our body requires all of them. Uh, there's no bad guy. Um, and then again, listening to your hunger and fullness. Um, so yeah, no, I wouldn't really promote any particular diet. If you want to take, um, you know, some benefits from someone, like I said, the Mediterranean mm-hmm. where, you know, there is a lot of balance and it's you know very inclusive, high mm-hmm. in fiber, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, anything that's very extreme or kind of calorie counting or very rigid is just not not helpful. Mm-hmm. It's new, uh, what do you think about the ketogenic diet? Because I know that's like a super popular fad right now, but wasn't it originally intended for like epilepsy patients? Yeah. So there, you know, there's, there's benefits exactly on just a very, a very small population. That is the current popular diet. That's it's always evolving and changing. It's another one that's very extreme. It's definitely, obviously, definitely not recommended with eating disorders. Um, It is highly restrictive. And and to be honest, sometimes it can be dangerous. So, you know, there may be rare occurrences where it may be helpful if somebody is doing that with an experienced professional, like a dietitian who specializes in that. Mm -hmm. You know, there may be unique. But for the general population, again, it goes against everything I've already talked about earlier with just that same cycle it's something people go on and off and it goes against that intuitive eating that that feels our best generally temporary um and then it has those side effects yeah i know there's just so much out there and i think like like even being kind of trained in this not and i have this knowledge sometimes i even get confused so i can imagine that you know like someone who's just navigating it all they're hearing advice from the guy at the gym they're hearing advice on social media and then you know reading some articles it, it's very confusing but I think like you, you yeah I think you really nailed it in saying that like like everything we've talked about it's really coming back to you and um and then exploring and like in- integrating a variety of different foods as well yeah I know exactly I, I agree is that this idea it is very hard to navigate there's so much confusing misinformation out there and one help so a couple helpful things would be and you guys probably talk about like learning to navigate the the media is checking your resources um what's hard too is sometimes you know these the it's maybe a doctor but keep in mind doctors don't specialize in nutrition right that that um so you know whether they're a dietitian what is the background what are you looking for yeah so just being you know kind of knowing the sources of the information um, as well. And again, if there's any kind of red flags of these extremes, but you're looking for that that balance and then choosing foods you like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in this, uh, in this new age of social media, I know like people are always focused on their appearance. Like you see a TikTok and people will comment on someone's appearance or their weight. Um, and many eating disorders do stem from microaggressions even by friends and family members. Um, like in their childhood, for example, you know, I've had family members comment on my weight saying, oh my gosh, have you lost weight? Like you look so good now, like, you know, little jabs like that. So how do you combat your own negative thoughts in terms of internalized weight bias and these microaggressions? Yeah, I think that is a common, yeah, that's obviously very common in our, our society as well, especially, I think sometimes people don't realize that commenting on people's bodies, weights and shapes period is not very helpful so sometimes for instance 
people think it's helpful to comment on weight loss. Well, we don't know why that person has lost weight or what they're doing. And many times I've heard that that's very reinforcing if someone does have an eating disorder or any kind of disordered eating. So um, I certainly do not comment, you know, whether you, you notice something like that or not, you know, I will not be commenting on, on people's bodies. So it's important not only to not do it on ourselves, but to, to stop doing it with others. Mm-hmm. But I think people are not always bad intended, right? Like that is kind of a norm. I'm in a bit of a bubble. You know, I work at Abana, so it's, this is not yeah. a common thing we do. And obviously my family and friends that, that know me. So I think I'm a little, I'm not as much immersed in that as many people are. But it makes it very difficult, right? It keeps that focus on, oh, okay, how I look is, you know, must be so important. But so we do a lot of challenging of that here, not just with me, but with our you know, social workers and clinicians is, um, you know, really people don't ultimately value us most for our body. They value us for so many other things, right? Well, how good of a friend are we? So we try to shift that focus. And we also suggest, you know, kind of going through your social media. I, I just, I'm not a big social media person, but, um, you know, a lot of people are into it. And again, is this helpful? Does this make me feel good when I'm looking at this? So I think it's just sort of examining, yeah, what is, what is helpful, but try to move away from this idea of focusing so much on our bodies or focus more on what they do for us because our bodies are fascinating. Yeah. Right? Just even people going through pregnancy and feeling like, oh, I need to take the weight off and look a certain way. Like, that's so ridiculous. Your body is healing and it's supposed to look however it does when it's going through that major change. Mm -hmm. So so clearly I have a lot of, you know, issues with that part of our our society that, that, you know, people feel bad when when they're just natural processes, just like aging. We're supposed to age. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, I know, and I think I actually think the more you um, embrace like everything you're speaking about, like you know, my worth comes from internal things. I think that actually your body responds to it in a way that you might be deemed desirable as well. Like you know, if you're focusing on all you bring to the table and you're building your confidence in that way, it definitely exudes from you in a way that like, like I always use the, cause I also try not to comment on bodies. I use the uh, compliment, oh, you're glowing because yeah. it's not really about your appearance, but it's about like, oh, like you're just exuding like this really yeah. good part of you that I love, you know? Exactly. You're in, like, you emit this confidence and energy. The more you take care of yourself, and that doesn't matter about your what your weight is. That's that shift that you try to, make it's again if you're taking care of yourself if you're nurturing yourself and yeah, yeah so no i totally uh, agree with you you Steph. it's it's more the big picture and the more we can move away from bodies yeah the better yeah um so i guess um as like a fun fact about you just because we are talking about this really um what is your like self-care tip what do you do for self-care and what makes you feel good yeah, that's probably something I can always work on and do better at too when there's a lot to juggle. Definitely finding that, that I definitely am sleep. I need to make sure I am rested and well fed. So hence eating this, you know, regular balance most of the time. Because uh, I do feel better when I do that as as well as, again, doing activity I enjoy. So I find that those those three things are really the pillars of what make us feel good. And spending time with my family and friends like I said, since that's been limited, I've yeah. been, been gardening and just being out in nature, honestly, getting out in nature. That's what really feels good to me. Mm-hmm. I love, what about you, Erin? 
Um, me, what do I do for self-care? Ah, uh, you know, <laughs> I love going on walks. I've been going on walks with my grandma the past uh, couple weeks since I've been home, which has been super nice, but she is a machine. She'll go on a walk for like 12 kilometers. And I'm like, grandma, like, I cannot keep up. <laughs> yeah, those are super fun. Um, That's um, I've been trying to stay more off social media, definitely taking baths I love baths <laughs> you know walking my dog just hanging out with friends and family since I've been gone for a while so yeah that's been super fun so far mm-hmm. and Steph oh <laughs> um I know my you know what I am I do um get a lot from like you know some alone time um I probably I describe myself as an introverted extrovert so I need both right like I like my alone time and then I like spending my time with friends and family too I get a lot from that and movement for sure but more like you're talking about gentle movement some days and even some dancing in there I like that too so um, dance parties those are the best and getting outside for sure so it's really those really little things that I lean on yeah so I'm gonna kind of start wrapping up our talk here I just really want to thank Nicole for giving her time today. I know she's really busy. Um, And because our podcast name is Happy, Healthy, and Hopeful, I always end the podcast and ask this question. Um, So what are you hopeful for, Nicole, going forward into 2021? So that could be personally for Banna or for our world and um, Uh, our society. Yeah, it's a great question. Obviously, we're in a very unique time here. I, I'm hopeful that we're going to get back to um, a bit more of a, of a norm where we're all able to take care of ourselves a bit better. And I think hopefully be a bit more grateful for some of those things that, you know, for instance, I love traveling and that's been on, you know, on pause. Um, so just being really grateful for being able to get back to activities and spending time with, you know, loved ones. So just, yeah, being yeah. able to, those things that we value have more time to really appreciate and enjoy them that's what I'm hopeful for yeah that's such a good um way of putting it as like you know expressing more gratitude and just really like relishing in those moments yeah Erin do you have anything that you're hopeful for yeah definitely with this pandemic that's you know been occurring like the past year and a half or so just hopeful for things to start going back to normal, you know, so that I can, you know, cross the border and stuff too. Yeah. Um, just because that's been a hassle trying to get back and forth um, without the quarantine and stuff. But um, yeah, hopeful for um, obtaining my degree. Definitely. I cannot wait to be a dietitian. It's going to be a super cool experience and definitely really thankful that I'm able to intern with the band of the summer. Um, yeah. It's been a great experience this far. So that's awesome. Well, um, I just want to thank you both for being here. Thanks, Erin, for co-hosting with me and being my first co-host. And thanks, Nicole, for providing like so much rich information about um, dietetics and food and intuitive eating and really placing that emphasis on how it's all about the whole picture about you know your behavioral um, activities that you take that, that are so important and really... Um, have a huge role in our health and also um you know moving away from just numbers and being obsessive about that and really that we are so much more than just that number on the scale so some really great messages coming through today 
Oh, thanks so much, Steph. This was fun. I was a little nervous to zone in my comfort zone. And uh, yeah, this is really fun. And I appreciate all the great, the great questions. And yeah, we, we really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. Um, and if anyone is listening, I hope it maybe eased your nerves about uh, the nutrition piece at Banner, or maybe you learned something new and maybe want to adopt something we talked about today. So, um, also, if anyone is listening and is struggling please visit our website. It's www.banna.ca and there's lots of resources and a way to um, reach out as well through the website and our toll-free number can be found there as well. So thanks for listening and thanks to my guests for being here and we'll see you next time.